This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. About two years ago, which is if you are watching, if you ask me what I asked you to show right now, was how long ago we were working on this. About two years ago, I get a phone call from Yoshua Baturo. And he goes and he, and he tells me as an idea. His idea is that he is going to go and he's going to write a book on short stories. And I said, that's amazing, that's awesome. As anybody that goes and gives you an idea, you have to give a good encouragement. But I was thinking, I'm like, what is the person, what is the chance that it's going to come into fruition? I get so many phone calls. I get phone calls of people that are Mashiach. I get phone calls that people are, you know, the next, you know, Donald Trump. I get phone calls from the most far reached, your, your, the imagination can't tell you what I get phone calls for. And I say, okay, fine, yeah, okay, yeah, you, you want to write a book, you want to direct a movie, you want to go this, you want to build a yeshiva, yeah, of course, you want to build another Israel, and uh, of course, why not? Of course you could do it. But there's a very, very, very small percent of those people that actually actualize on their ideas. We all have good ideas, we all have good thoughts, and we all have things we want to accomplish in life. What differentiates somebody who has good thoughts versus someone who is successful is one simple thing. And that is the first step. I get so many people that come, they have such good ideas. And it stays as an idea. They never do anything else other than an idea. But once you have somebody that go and starts the first step, now remember, so he calls me up, he just says, okay, we got the first story. This is the first, this is the story. What do you think about it? And we go, we go back and forth to go and try to edit the story and see how, you know, what would be the lesson learned from it. And then I thought, okay, fine. That, you know, so it lasted a little bit. But the phone calls kept on coming. The stories kept on coming one after another. And I want to say this is what defines a successful person. That he has an idea. And by the way, this is a lesson for each and every single one of us. He has an idea, and he starts working on it. And he works in it for months. And the months turn into years. And he keeps on working on it. And by the way, once the book is finished, that's the easy part. Now go to try to find a publisher. Now go try to find And there's so much work that needs to go to it. So, really, what I have to say to you is that you inspired me. Inspired me to see, to show what people can accomplish. What people can do when they put their mind to it and they actually step forward and they do something. How appropriate is this topic for Rosh Hashanah? We have so many things. Every year, we come to like Rosh Hashanah. It's usually like Erev Rosh Hashanah. Be like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot to become a better person. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to change like everything in my life. Yom Kippur finishes and we kind of forget like 99.9% of that stuff. And we fall into the same place that we were before. Fast forward another year. We're like, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to become a better, better person. And we do the same thing that we did year after year after year after year. And guess what? We're the same person. We haven't changed. What's going on? How come we haven't changed? And I believe this is the secret. Is that you have to have an idea. And the idea is not enough just to stay an idea. You have to actually start doing something. You have to go and take that pen and paper and start writing down these stories. You have to take, a, take something that you have, that idea, and actualize it. But once you do that, you're like, okay, I started it. I'm good. The difficult part, that is part one difficult. But probably the second to the most difficult part is the continuation from it. We're coming before Rosh Hashanah. 
And we want to become better people. We want to have a favorable judgment. We want to have an awesome, amazing year. So we decide we're going to work on certain things. I want you to think about one point. And one point only. You take upon whatever it is that you take on. See how long you last. See how long that you last based on whatever it is that you desire that you wanted to change. You know, the, uh, you know before we, you know, we'll, have to, we'll do this at the end. Remind me, we have to go through it all at the end. I feel like I'm going to end up stuck on this. I'm not going to say my whatever I prepared. Dealing with Rosh Hashanah, and I, uh, Baruch Hashem, I have the merit, the schut, to speak to a lot of people. And, you know, I, the truth of the matter is, I get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, and I wish I could respond to every single one in a timely fashion, but I do not. I, I just physically just can't get to it. I'm, like, months behind in my email. Like, and I apologize for all those who send me emails. I try to get to every single email that comes to me, but it takes me time. But I get to speak to a wide variety of group of people. And one of the things that kind of struck very, very interesting to me was when I speak to, let's say, people that are not religious. They don't keep Shabbat. They don't keep kosher. Maybe the women don't keep modesty to the levels that they're supposed to. They do things that maybe it's on the borderline. And being of what is what I do, I see an opportunity. You know, I got to talk to them about something. You know, a doctor sees a drug addict, says, drop the needle. I see a guy who's Mechalel Shabbat, I say, drop the needle on Shabbat. You know, like I say things that need to go and be said. And I speak to these people, and I, the first thing is like, okay, what am I going to tell you? Keep Shabbat? If you don't believe in God, what, what are you going to say? Bother me with Shabbat? So I say, okay, by the way, there's a God. I try to go to different proofs of why there's Shabbat and why you should keep, you know, uh, you know, why you should keep kosher because there's a God who gave the Torah. And many times they stop and be like, wait a minute. So the rabbi, we believe in all that. Like, you know, yeah, I know there's a God. For sure there's a God. Are you kidding me? There's got to be a God. I mean, I'm like, kicking by the Torah. It's like, Torah, for sure. It's a, you know, the Torah goes, you know, the, this and the prophecies. Of course, the Torah is real. So I'm like, wait a minute. So like, so then how come you don't keep Shabbat? You don't keep, how, how do you, like, how do you balance that? And I get this answer. And this answer, when I get to it, makes my blood pressure go right through the roof. And that is, Rabbi, you don't understand. Me and God, we have an understanding. We're tight. Like, we're good. You know, you know like, like, don't worry about it. I'm okay. And in my mind, I'm like laughing. I'm like, what do you mean you're okay? Like, how is that? Po- how do you even have that mindset? It's like a guy who goes and robs a bank. And the, the FBI is surrounding the place. The police is surrounding the place. And this guy is not dropping a sweat. And his partner's over there like, why are you not sweating? I'd be like, don't worry about it. You know, me and the police, we have an understanding. Now, if you're from the mafia, then fine. You know, like, all right. But other than that, like, there's no understanding. If you're robbing the bank and you're caught, you know, with money in your hands and gun in your pocket, you're going to go to jail. Like, there's no question that. So how could it be that somebody could go and say, yeah, me and God have an understanding? And it always baffled me. I never understood it. It bothered me. Until I started doing a little introspection. I was like, wait a minute. Am I any different? Are we any different? So we see the extreme cases. The extreme cases of people who don't keep anything and they say that statement. But look at each and every single one of us. Think about this thought for a second. We're coming to Rosh Hashanah. We're coming to Yom Kippur. Are you scared? Be like, no, I had a pretty good year. You know, went to a few lectures, sponsored a few lectures. 
paid for a few books in the Sparim in the you know shul, made a few brachot, you know, kept all the Shabbatot. I did every you know, kept kosher, you know, everything. I learned even, you know, once or twice a week. It was a good year. I was good. Like, so we feel like, you know, we're, we're in a solid state. We're in a good state. And be like, wait a minute, did you do everything that you need to? How are we any better? Well, okay, let me be careful how I say that. But in essence, how are we any better than somebody that says, you know what, I didn't keep Shabbat, I didn't keep kosher, but I'm good. And we say, okay, I kept Shabbat, I kept kosher, but I did like 4 or 5% of the meat, so I'm good. So all we have is just a little bit more than the guy before. But you know what? The guy above us, the guy who goes and, and let's say is learning kolel all day, his supporting orphans and his wife is cooking for the yeshiva and who knows what mitzvah they're doing. And he's looking at us and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> how do you comfortable? How are you so comfortable? How are you so like not nervous for, for you know, Rosh Yom Kippur? Then you take the Rosh Hashiva, the Rosh Kolel over there, looks at this guy and be like, how are you? All I do? Every time, whenever we look at it, for us, we think we're okay. But when we look to somebody to the left, be like, how are you comfortable? How are you not nervous? You know, imagine somebody goes to a doctor. And the doctor goes, runs some tests, and the doctor goes and tells him, listen, 98% chance you're okay. But there's like a 2% chance uh, we got to run some extra tests. This guy is not sleeping that night. He's not sleeping until he gets the results back. And the question is, but why? It's a 2% chance that maybe you're going to have something. So why are you so nervous? And we think about it. Let's say we had an awesome, amazing year. But maybe there's a 2% chance that we should be nervous about before Rosh Hashanah. Says Rabbi Shem Pinkus, nowadays, it's very rare that you find something called Amas Hadin. Fear of judgment. We're coming to Rosh Hashanah. How many people are scared? How many people are like, wait a minute, what's, what's going to be this year? As Yeshua was saying, that there's people that even our age and younger that weren't even here. They didn't make it this past year. So how are we not scared? How don't we wake up and be like, wait a minute. I want to share with you a little thought process. A few months ago, I was cleaning my backyard. And when I'm doing my, let's call it chores, housework, or whatever it is, I do it with my physical body, but my mind is elsewhere. Like, I'm in my own thoughts. Uh, it's, it's always, ever since I was younger. Like, I'm doing something, but like, you know, I'm always in my own thoughts. So I'm doing over there, I'm cleaning up over there, I'm in my own thoughts. And all of a sudden, I see something zip by me on the side. Now, the first thing that I do is my heart decides to be like, stop, what just happened? And it's like, and I like, I like look around all of a sudden, I'm super focused. And I start looking, and I notice I see a snake. The snake was about five feet long, about yay thick. Now, I'm a Brooklyn boy. I've seen snakes before. But they were slightly larger than a worm. And I'm like, that snake, I can handle it. No problem. But then I see this five-foot snake. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, it's going in my backyard. My kids play out there. Like, what should I do? So I take a picture of it. I send it to my neighbor. And he's like, yeah, no, no problem. Just catch it, kill it, whatever. You know, get grab it by its head. I was just a, you know, I don't know why I'm a snake whisperer. I, okay, fine. Grab it by its head. All right. I have the flute. I'm going to start playing this musical thing, and it's going to start dancing for me. Like, okay, I grab it by Fine. Let me try to see what I could do. And I, you know, I call my wife. I'm like, 
get, get me a shovel. Get me something. Like, I don't know how to get close to this. So I get a shovel. And now I'm trying to figure out it's me versus the snake. And I'm like, how am I going to get this? And so I'm trying to think, okay, like the head is where you have to go to try to trap the head. So I'm trying to trap the head with this shovel. And needless to say, the snake wasn't so happy about this game that we were playing. Like it wasn't so pro it, you know, like I was like, you know, playing and he was like, no, I don't want to play anymore. And he got upset. Now, when did I notice that he got upset is that he stopped running away. Because we were cha- we were running around, right? we were chasing it. All of a sudden, he stops running away, and he does this thing where he turns around in a little circle, and his head comes up like that, and he stares at me, as sort of to speak like, "You want to go? <laughs> Let's go." And I'm like, "I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to go. I don't want to do this." And but I'm like stuck over there. I'm the man of the house. I got to take care of the snake. So I inch a little forward, and all of a sudden, the snake does something that makes me run the other way. It takes his tail, and it starts moving it back and forth, like rattling it. I'm like, nope. Shovel down. I'm out of here. I'm like, I don't know what I'm dealing with over here. Meanwhile, I haven't checked my phone. I check my phone, and my phone, the, my neighbor goes and messages me back. He's like, I send it to a friend of mine who is an exterminator. Do not touch this snake. This snake bites. So I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you for telling me that. I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? It was Sunday evening. I start calling, you know, these exterminators to try to do it. They'd be like, listen, we can't come tonight. We could probably come tomorrow. I said, can you tell me what this is? I sent him a picture of the snake. And he goes and he says, this is called a black racer snake. It's not poisonous, but it will bite you. I said, when can you come? And he's like, tomorrow, but there's a chance that he won't be there tomorrow. So I was like, All right, what am I going to do? It was Sunday afternoon, you know, like... I'm not going to be able to, like, sleep with that. And I run to Home Depot. Home Depot is a 20-minute drive. I go there to Home Depot. I start asking, do you have something that gets rid of snakes? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Like, what do you, why would we even carry that? Finally, I, they sent me to, like, Lowe's, whatever it was. I ended up finding something called Snake Away. This year is brought to you by the book and Snake Away. <laughs> and I take this, this spray, and I bring it back to my house. Now I have to figure out, okay, is the snake going to be there anymore? And I start looking around the area where it was, and I saw it was still there. The chutzpah, this guy still stayed. He's like, yeah, this is my territory now. And I take this thing and I start spraying it. So needless to say, if the snake wasn't happening before, he is not happy right now. It was a full wage battle. I was spraying it with like a hose that went literally 10 feet, and then I ran. And then I sprayed, and I ran. I sprayed, and I ran. It was something. And then it just like, you know, snuck under some sort of tarp, and I'm like, I'm done. Like, I told my kids, you're not playing outside for the next two weeks. I'm done over here. And that, that's, that's how it was. That, they, did, they, they didn't go outside. I ended up getting a little piece of the snake's tail. And I felt so bad because but I couldn't do anything. The reason why I'm telling you this is that all of a sudden when I had this story, the fear of snakes became a little bit more personal to me. Now, imagine somebody would come and tell you, there's a snake in your house. But... I can't find it. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw it go in. It's a five-foot black racer snake. He was uh, going somewhere in the house. But, you know, we searched the house and we can't find it. What would you do? Pack your bags and you move out. You know, like, there's nothing else. Like, that's it. The snake owns the house now. That's, that's as far as it probably goes. Like, you have, and pe- by the way, people have a fear. I'm, I'm not sure if I should say this because some people will have a fear after I say this. But some people have a fear of going to the bathroom. And let your imagination figure out why in relation to a snake. 
they're scared because of what goes on. Like, you can't see it over there. Now, I started thinking about, like, wait a minute. Imagine somebody comes and tells you there's a possibility of a snake in your house. Can you go to sleep? This, the snakes, they climb up the stairs. They climb, they climb up everything. They're like, no, it's very, very... I don't know how they did it in the olden days. I, I, like, I've no... This is something that, like, mind boggles me. But yet, somebody tells you, I think there's a snake in your house. Are you going to be nervous? I'll tell you I am. I'm for sure going to be nervous. Are you kidding me? There's a snake? Where is it? You know, like, how we do? Is it, a, is, you know, is it poisonous? Is it going to bite? Where, like, we put traps? Like, where are we supposed to go? Guy says 2% chance there's a snake. Most probably not. You're going to be scared? I would say so. So how is it? Comes Rosh Hashanah. We could say there's maybe a little bit of a, more of a 2% chance that we should be scared. Maybe there's a 2% chance that maybe we should say, you know what? Like, like you know, let's do something different this year. But how is it that we don't? And how is it that we don't have this fear? There's a Gemara in Bachot. Page Chav Chesam Abayz, 28b. And in there brings the story of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Famous story. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the Gadol Hadol during the time of the destruction of the second Bet HaMikdash. And he was sick. And his students came to visit him. He saw his students and he started crying. And the students go to him and says, Rabbi, why are you crying? They go and they say, Nelly Israel, you're, a, the, you're the, the, the light. You're the, the candle of the Jewish nation. You're the pillar, the main pillar. You're the strong hammer. Why are you crying? You're such a gadol adol. You're such a tzaddik. Why are you crying? Why are you scared? So he goes and he says that if I would be going in front of a king who's of human blood, a human being, so if he gets angered at me, all right, anger is temporary. If he gets, if he sends me to prison, it's also temporary. Even if he sends me for death, it's also temporary. There's a next world. But says Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, I'm going with the name Melech Malchi Amnachim HaKadosh Baruch I'm going in front of God. Who if he gets angry at me, it's eternal anger. If he throws me into prison, it's an eternal prison. If he kills me, it's an eternal death. Spiritually speaking. How am I not going to be scared? But the students go back and say, but, but Rabbi, you're the Gadol Adol, why are you so scared? And he goes and says, there's two paths in front of me. One leads to Gan Eden and one leads to Gehenom. One goes to heaven and one goes to the other place. Says the greatest rabbi of the generation. And I don't know where I'm going. The students were like, what? You don't know where you're going. What do you mean? You're the Ner Yisrael. You're the candle of the Jewish nation. You're the light. You shine light to the entire Jewish nation. You're the main pillar. If there's a building and there's one supporting pillar, that's you. You support the entire Kalisal. You're Patisha Chazak. You're that strong hammer. You protect Kalisal. He says, what do you mean that you are scared? You're the greatest rabbi of the generation. And you're talking about a, the generation that was almost 2,000 years ago. The level of this rabbi. And by the way, his students weren't just simple students. They were also Chazal. They were also rabbis. So Rav Shipshipikas goes and explains... And he says that Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai had an opportunity. And the opportunity was presented to him by the Roman general Vespasian, who later became the, the, the king, the emperor. And the, the Roman general went and said, we're not going to go through the whole story, he gave him an opportunity and said, listen, whatever you ask, that's what I'll do. 
give, you know, sort of like a magic genie. You have any wishes and I'll fulfill it. So he went and he said, yeah, save Yavne, save the sages in Yavne. Go and heal Rav Tzadok. Go and save the lineage of Rabbi Gamliel. He asked for these three things. But other rabbis were like, wait a minute. Why didn't he ask to save the Bet HaMikdash? Vespasian's son Titus went and destroyed the Bet HaMikdash. Why didn't he ask the Roman general to spare the Bet HaMikdash? Maybe he could have speared it. Says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh says, maybe I, made a wrong, maybe I made a mistake, so to speak. Who knows, maybe I could have spared the, be- the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. And that's why he was scared when he was about to die, saying, I don't know which path I'm going to go on. But the question, the great, amazing question says Rabbi Shem that we all have to ask. Let's say he made a mistake. We all make mistakes. What about his Torah? What about his chesed? He's a leader of the Jewish nation. So what is going to be with all that? That's all going to go to waste? So he made a mistake, but he has so much amazing stuff on his repertoire. He has so much amazing things on his sheet. He did so much. Why is he still scared? So imagine there's someone who's very, very wealthy, has multiple businesses, has a business in real estate, has a business in healthcare, owns the government, whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about, and multiple businesses. If he ingests poison, what's going to happen to him? He owns six hospitals and 27 nursing homes. And the U.S. currency and the American government. He owns everything. Is it the poison not going to affect him? Of course it's going to affect him. That wealthy person, no matter how powerful, no matter how successful, he's liable to die because of the ingested the poison. The Pasuki Mishlei says, Shlomo Melech, Mikol Mishmor Nitzor Libecha. From Every harmful thing, what you want to know why you need to protect yourself, protect your heart. You want to know why out of everything. We have to protect everything. We have to be careful. We have to be healthy. We have to make sure we sleep enough. We eat right. We don't do anything unhealthy. We have to protect our body. But you want to know what's the most important thing? Protect your heart. Why? Imagine you have a grandmother. And this grandmother is the tzaddikis of the tzaddikis. She goes and she wakes up at 3 a.m. every morning. She finishes the entire sefer tihidim. And then she goes and she feeds 60 shivot, all while hosting 27 orphans in her home. And in the evening, she's like baking cookies as any grandmother does for her great-grandchildren and her children and other people's grandchildren. And she's handing it out, making bachot party, everything she is doing right. After 120, she gets up to heaven. And there's going to be a huge celebration waiting for her. David Melach is going to be there. She finishes Sefer Telim every single day. All the orphans are going to be waiting over there. All the yeshivot over there is going to be waiting. But says Rav Shimshampingas, you want to know who's not going to be there? That grandma is not going to be there. You want to know why? Because this grandmother had a little bit of a faulty outlook. She didn't realize that God didn't have a physical form. One of the 13 principles of faith, one of the fundamentals of Jewish faith, is that God does not have a form. And if you don't believe and you don't understand these 13 principles of faith, then no matter what you have, says the Rambam in El Chotchuvah, says, you have no share in the world to come. You could do all the great things, but maybe you weren't sure about something. You weren't sure about Triat Metim. You didn't know that there was going to be a resurrection of the dead. And because of that, you said, no, nah, I don't believe this. Remember a few years ago, I was speaking to a very successful woman. Very successful, very intelligent. And we're talking back and forth in different, uh, you know, things that she needed to discuss. And I presented her, you know, like she was going through a loss. And I said, um, you know, but there's going to be there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. 
And she's like, nah, I don't believe in that. I was like, oh, no, this phone call is just going to get so much longer right now. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't believe in that? He's like, nah, I don't believe, you know, like, it doesn't make any sense. I said, first of all, before I start proving to you and how it can make sense, so do you understand that if you decide you're not going to believe in that, you're denying one of the 13 fundamental principles of Jewish faith. And if you're doing that, you're, you're at risk to lose everything. And I warned her so many times that she was like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And I went and I brought from Avaria Kaplan how it could be through stem cell research and DNA replication, all these different scientific proofs. No, it doesn't make sense to me. How could somebody go and you have one little, one little fault, but it's a big, big boo-boo, that fault. And you come to heaven after 120, you did so much great things, but you're not going to be there. You're not, because you had that one big boo-boo. You had that one big fault. And says Reb Chaim Rebrisk, that even if you did this unintentionally, if even if you did this by mistake, you're still at fault. You're still at fault. Even you can't come up there and be like, I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I, no, says Reb Chaim Rebrisk, you have to know this. This is the fundamental. Somebody who goes and wants to convert to Judaism, they have to know this. Certainly, certainly people that are religious. This is one of the, many people say the 13 principles of faith every single day after Shachrit. Says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus, this is what we have to be so careful to protect our heart. Because you can have everything. But if you have one mistake, you lose everything. It brings down also another story that there was a, a, a yeshiva boy. And this yeshiva boy was speaking to his friends. And the Rosh Yeshiva, the rabbi, was sitting not too far. And one boy was speaking to another boy about the concept of prophecy. And I've heard this, unfortunately, before. He says, you don't want to know what prophecy is. Prophecy is not that God is talking to people, but it's an internal realization of what God wants. All of a sudden, you have this epiphany, you have this like clarity, and that's prophecy. And that is what prophecy is. The rabbi, the Rosh Hashiva, looked at them and he started crying. He says, what are you talking about? That's not prophecy. He started crying, the rabbi. He says, that's kfirah, that's heresy, that's heretic. He says, one of the 13 principles of faith is that God speaks to human beings through prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu was a prophet. Yes, nowadays we don't have prophets. But we had prophets where God spoke to the Jewish people. God spoke to prophets, also non-Jews. That's what prophecy is. You have one fault, you can lose it all. Says Rabbi Shem Shempika says, I know that boy. I know him. He's a great Talmud Chacham. He studies non-stop. But he could study in Kolel for a hundred years and he's going to come up to heaven and he's not going to be there. So the question is, that if Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is scared about where he's going to, and now we see that you can have one little boo-boo and you lose it all, so how is it that we're not scared? How is it that we come to Rosh Hashanah and be like, yeah, okay, fine, you know, let's uh, speed this thing up. What's the most common conversation that happens after Rosh Hashanah? What time do you finish? Oh, 12 o'clock. I'll finish 11.30. Wait, what time do you start? Be like, nine? <laughs> 10.30. Yeah, you know, right through. Be like, that's what you're talking about? That's what you're dealing with? Or the simanim, which is great, by the way. But that's what the, the highlight. The highlight is, okay, let's find some interesting fruit. That's the highlight. And granted, it's a, it's a big thing, and you should do that. But you think about it. When do you, when do you stop for a second? Right? We're about a little bit over a week from Rosh Hashanah. Did you stop for one second? And be like, do I have something to be scared for? If you had a snake in your house right now, would you be scared? If you had a doctor that called you and said, hey, by the way, 2% chance, i got to worry about something. Are you going to be worried? So then maybe we should be worried. 
coming Rosh Hashanah. Maybe we should stop for a second and be like, wait a minute, maybe I have to do something. Maybe I have to change something. The Gemara in Getin, page 56a goes and says, there's a story of Unkelis. Unkelis was a nephew of, of, of Titus, of Titus. Titus was the one who destroyed the second Bet HaMikdash. He had, his sister had a, had a boy, his name was Unkelis. And this Unkelis wanted to go and convert to Judaism. You think about it, like what that means. That imagine Hitler's nephew is converting to Judaism. Oh, Titus' nephew wants to convert to Judaism. So he knew a little bit of ways to get in contact with the other world. His uncle, Titus, died already. And he is able to speak to him. Through certain means, he was able to conjure his, uh, his uncle's spirit, and he was able to speak to him. And he goes over to his uncle, and he says, I'm considering converting to Judaism. Tell me, who is prominent in the next world? Titus died already, he's in the next world. He says, who is prominent? What's going on in the next world? Who holds the highest position? So Titus goes and says, the Jewish people, they hold the highest position. So he says, okay, so I'm considering to convert. What do you think about that? And he says, don't convert. Their laws are many. It's going to be very difficult to keep. Rather, what you should do is fight against them, and that will raise you to prominence. Because whoever fights against the Jewish people will be raised to prominence and to high level. So that, that's what you should do. Says Rabbi Shemshapikas, wait a minute. The Gemara goes and says that Unclus asks his uncle, says, What's, what do you do there? What's your punishment? And he says he gets burnt. His ashes get burnt every single day, and it gets scattered through all the seven seas. And then it gets recollected and restart from again. His, he gets burnt, and his ashes spread throughout. The, why is he getting punished? Because of the destruction of the pain that he inflicted upon the Jewish nation. So you have your guy that in the next world already, and he's getting punished for his sins in this world of what he did. He knows the truth. So how is it that he's telling his, his nephew, don't cover, go against him? It's literally he should be the only one that knows and learned his lesson. Be like, no, go and do anything you can for the Jewish people. Look at the suffering that I have to go through. How come he's not doing that? And the answer is, is because once you die, once you leave this earth, you can't change. The personality that you had over here, that stays with you when you get to the next world. You can't decide to change. Titus it remained exactly the same. By the way, they also brought up Bilam, and they also brought up JC. They brought up all these people, and they had all different, you know, different answers, but their personality didn't change. You can't, once you leave this world, you can't change. You are who you are. You can't bring all of a sudden be like, okay, I'm going to be a right. No, no, no. Wherever you left this world, that's where you're holding. That's how big your personality is. That's how big your character traits are. The idea of realizing the greatness of the time that we're getting into is so important, is so fundamental that we have to stop for even a second. All that it takes is just a second and be like, am I okay? Do I feel confident in where I am? This is the Gemara Shabbat brings down a story. A true story that was between the wife of Rabbi Eleazar ben Horkness and the and Rabbi Gamliel. Now, Rabbi Eleazar ben Horkness, whoever doesn't know, Rabbi Eleazar ben Horkness was the Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, who was the Rabbi of Rabbi, Sh- Rabbi Shem Bayochai, who wrote the Zohar, meaning that he was the top of the top. He had 
he had married the sister of another huge rabbi. So he had a wife of Rabbi Gamliel, and his sister's name was Ima Shalom. That was her name. And there was a certain heretic, a certain somebody who had kfira ideas. He was a judge in the secular courts. And they wanted to go and say, like, you know, he's, he's pulling people to his ideology. He's pulling people to his thought process. They had to stop it. So you know what they did? The wife of one Gadol Adol, Rabbi Elizabeth ben Horkinus, and the Gadol Adol, Rabbi Gamliel, they brought a case to him. And they say, listen, they say that our father, they go say, passed away, and he left us an inheritance. But the law is, according to the Jewish law, is that the, if there's a son, the daughter doesn't get that, that inheritance. But what happened was, is that this sister, she bribed this judge beforehand. She sent him a candlestick. And, sent him a, and then she comes into court. Now he's bribed on one side. And she says, what are we supposed to do? Says at one point you have over here that the father, the, the, only the son should inherit, but she gave me a candlestick. So he looks at them and he makes his ruling and he says, the ruling is, is that you should divide it equally. But says Rabbi Gamliel, but I don't understand, the Torah says that you're, sp- you're supposed to go to the son. So the judge responds and he says, no. He says, but now you're not anymore in the Holy Land. You're in the Roman rule. And now you follow the Roman government rule and that is you split it equally. So they said, fine. They left. That night, the next day, Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel sends a bribe to this judge. Sends him a donkey as a bribe. And the judge calls him back in for another retrial. And he goes and he says, you know what? Under further consideration, further you know, looking into this, uh, into this case, the Torah says that you're not supposed to change anything from the Torah. And that's why we can't change anything from the Torah. It goes only to the, uh, to the sun. So the sister, the, the girl over there goes and says, but wait a minute. She goes and gives him a little hi- a hint. She says, may, the, may your light shine forth like a candle. <clears throat> candle. Candle. Candle, right? And Rabbi Gamliel looks at her and he says, my donkey knocked off your candle. Meaning that my bribe outweighed your bribe. Why did they do this? They wanted to expose this judge. This judge was like, oh, I'm so good, I'm so righteous in what I do. And then he had this heretic beliefs on Judaism. So the greatest people of the generation went and they exposed this, this judge. Says Rav Yaakov Galinsky, he says, I don't understand. He says, imagine you have the two G'dolei Adol now generation, or the previous generation. He says, imagine you have the stipler's wife, who happened to be the brother of the Chazonish. Imagine they both go to a judge who's not going to reel in the door and says, hey, by the way, oh, you know, like we have a case over here about our father. And they go and then they come to a certain conclusion. They go home and they come back the next day. You're talking about a gadol adol. You're talking about the chazon ish. Where is he going to have the time to go back? You think Chacham Ovadia Yosef had the time to go back into a court and go and fight over something? The question says Rabbi Yaakov Galitsky is, I don't understand. He says, what was these gadolim? What were they doing about this heretic? Who cares? Okay, let him have his thing. They wasted so much time on him. Says Rabbi Galinsky, says, yeah. Says it's worthwhile to tear off the mask of somebody who is a heretic. Somebody who doesn't follow the hashkafah, the right ideology of the Torah. Says it's worth it. Why? Because more than anything, you have to guard your heart. And if you make one wrong turn, you could lose it all. You could lose it all. So now we have to, we're, we're in a bad situation we have to think about. If Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is scared. If there's so many opportunities for us to lose anything, so what is left with us? How do we have any chance? Come Rosh Hashanah. Says the Pshim Pinkus. Says the Gemara ended off with a resolution. 
told you exactly what to do. You look at Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He looked like he had everything and now he's so scared. So what are we supposed to do? You know how the Gemara ends over there? His students came in and Rabbi Yochanan started crying. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Simple. Cry. That's what you're supposed to do. Cry to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Cry to God. And don't be like, I'm a man. I haven't cried since I was born. And the doctor slapped me and it was the last time that I cried. Only when I have allergies in the eyes when I see something very sad. But other than that, I don't cry. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, no. Okay? You go and you cry to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You go and you cry to God. That's what you're supposed to do, says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Go and cry. Rabbi Shem Shepika says, you want a chance? Cry. The question is, is that many people come to this realization and say, like, wait a minute. Can I do tshuva? Can I do something after everything that I've done in my life? How many times did people come to you and say, like, Rabbi, you don't know what I did. I said, listen, unless you're a mass murderer and uh, the list of other things, like, I've heard it all. And like, no, but like one time, I, 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 like, okay, so do tshuva. And people think, you know, there's no chance I can't do it. Rabbi Malach Biederman brings down a story. There was once a boy that wasn't the best boy. And he used to bring his, uh, his friends over to his house. He was a teenager. And they used to get drunk in his house. One time, a bunch of his friends got a little bit rowdy. They got drunk. And they made tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage to the home. The boy felt so bad about it that he didn't know. He couldn't even confront his parents. So he left the home. He ran out. He went to live with one of his friends. And the father tried to say, no, come back home. It's not about the money. The boy says, no, I, have no, I don't want anything to do. The father goes and he hires a professional to try to work with this boy. And he tries to go and work with him. And meanwhile, he's reporting back to the father. It looks like this boy is, go, is doing very well. It looks like it's, good stuff is happening. So the father goes, really? Is that real? Okay, great. So he starts calling his son. The son doesn't answer. Ignores all the calls. So the father says, okay, fine, let me go down. He goes down to his apartment. He knocks on the door. He sees his son open the window shade, look at him, and then close the window shade and not come to the door. And he rings the door a bell. Again, no one's coming. Waits five minutes, rings at a bell. His son comes out, doesn't open the door. He calls back this professional and says, what's going on? Why is my son not talking to me? So the professional says, I don't know. Let me, let me speak to him. He calls him up and the son says, why am I going to speak to my father? So you know how much damage I caused him? You know how much pain and suffering I caused him? I said, I can't speak to him. I can't look at him in the face anymore. I'm so embarrassed. The professional goes back to the father and relates the, the, what the son says. The father says, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the money. I want to have a, a relationship with my son. I want to talk to my son again. Says Ramayla beat him and he says, you know, yeah, we have people that we go, we make mistakes. We make boo-boos, sometimes very big boo-boos. Against HaKadosh Baruch and we think God doesn't want to hear me. God doesn't want to see me pray. You know what I did last night? You know what I did last week? He says, God doesn't want to see me. He says, yes, maybe we did a lot of damage. Maybe we have a lot of boo-boos in our repertoire. Maybe we did a lot of bad things. But God wants to talk to us. This brother wants a conversation with us. He says, why are you not talking to me? He says, yes, you did bad things and we're going to have to deal with that. But what is that stopping from you from talking to me? There was a story written in the Ami magazine that <clears throat> there was a boy that got kicked out of yeshiva at the age of 16. And this boy had a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions. And he decided that he's going to open up a blog, like any healthy thing to do. He opens up a blog. And in it, he writes 
all his ideas, ideology. He writes all the problems with yeshiva. Oh, this is where you have people that, oh, you want to know what's wrong with yeshiva? I'm like, wait a minute. When was the last time I went to yeshiva? No, I'm in public. I'll tell you what's wrong with yeshiva. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm like, when was the last time you actually stepped into it? Everybody has ideas and opinions. This guy goes and starts writing everything wrong with the yeshiva thing. And he starts convincing people, trying to get people out of the yeshiva. Don't go to yeshiva. Then he goes and he writes all his ideas about religion. Everything that has problems with the religion and why it, he, he'd go on and on and on. All his, and in there he also puts in, I guess this was his therapy. In there he also speaks about his, uh, his great aspirations, his great, you know, like lifelong goals, bucket list, so to speak. And one of them was that he wanted to go and he wanted to scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. That was one of his, you know, lifelong goals. And he puts everything on his, on his blog. Some time goes by, and he meets his rabbi from high school, a rabbi they had a good relationship with. And the rabbi says, oh, he hasn't seen him in a long time. He doesn't look the same way that he looked, you know, a short while back when he was in Yeshiva. He says, why don't you come for pizza? And they start schmoozing and start talking. And the rabbi goes to him and says, listen, he says, I know of a certain Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael in Israel. They'll be perfect. It's made for people like you. Made for people I had a problem with Yeshiva. I got kicked out. Perfect place for you to go. And he says, nah, I'm not interested in that rabbi. That lifestyle is not for me anymore. I have proof for it. I got a whole thing of my blog tells me why I shouldn't do exactly what I should do. So the rabbi didn't give up. And he says, okay. He goes over to him and he says, tell me, what's your, you know, what's your aspirations? What, what is something that you want to do in your life? And he says, you want to know what I want to do? He says, I want to go and scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. So the rabbi goes to him and says, I'll make you a deal. And the deal is that if you go to Yeshiva for 10 days, I will sponsor an all-paid trip to Australia for your scuba diving trip. And he's like, Rabbi, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, you're not joking. Are you really going to do it? He's like, yeah, 100%. And he says, you got yourself a deal, Rabbi. And he says, fine. He, they book him a trip to Israel. He goes to Israel. The rabbi calls him one week after, when he's in Israel. He's there for seven days. He calls the rabbi, calls him up. And the rabbi calls him up. He says, I want to book you that trip to Australia. Tell me what day you want to fly out. So the guy goes, surprisingly, and he goes and he says, um, listen, rabbi, it's actually kind of going kind of well over here. Like I want to, I want to, I'll do it, but I want to stay, you know, just a little bit longer in yeshiva over here. The rabbi says, no problem. You call me when you're ready. The trip is waiting for you. About six years go by, and he ends up excelling in yeshiva. He starts realizing that there's a yeshiva over here that things that he never even thought could be possible. He had a wrong idea of yeshiva. He all of a sudden saw the beauty of it, and he enjoyed it so much. He ended up going back to America, and he ended up going and learning in Besmedrish Gavaya in Lakewood, BMG in Lakewood. And then it was time for him to find a match, to find a shiduch. So, he calls a few shatchanim, they meet with him, and they start trying to set him up with a few girls. But, as nowadays, what happens if you get set up with somebody, many people do, you Google the person, see what I can find out about him. All of a sudden, you're Sherlock Holmes, going over there, but, all right, uh, let's hack into his system, let's see what he is. Oh, what pictures did he like, and what that, about that, all this other nonsense stuff. And they start doing a little research, and they see that he has a blog. And in the blog, he has pictures, videos, and all these things that he's not doing the greatest things. He's not saying the greatest things. And the problem was he knew about the blog, but he forgot his password. He forgot his username or password. And the bigger problem is, is the host that was hosting this, this blog went out of business. He had no one to call to. So every time he got rid of Shidduch, it got shut down. 
to the point that Shatran calls off and says, listen, it says, I can't be your Shatran anymore. Nobody wants to go close to you with a 10-foot pole. And it looks bad on me that I'm representing you. I've got to trade you to another Shatran. I, I, I can't. Like, I can't, you, I can't represent you anymore. So he calls over his rabbi, the rabbi that sent him to Israel. He says, Rabbi, what am I going to do? How am I ever going to get married? He says, I don't know what to do with this blog. I can't get it out. I can't get rid of it. And the rabbi says, just like God found you this yeshiva, God will find you this shidduch. Some time goes by and he gets set up with his friend from a girl from Farakway. And he goes out on a few dates and the entire time he's praying, God, please don't let them find my blog. Please don't let them find my blog. Some people pray for other things. He says, please don't let me find that blog. That's all he prayed about. And it came out really good. He really wanted to marry this girl. And he was so nervous that they're going to find the blog. They're going to find it. And it's going to be all ruined. Until all of a sudden, it came a few weeks later, and he proposed, and they got engaged. And he's like, come on, let's make this quick. (laughs) Let's close the deal before they find it out. Six weeks later, they get married on Lag Balmel. They got married. The, the family of the, of the girl was well-to-do. And they said they'll support them in learning in, in, uh, in yeshiva as long as, he, as long as he wants. So they go to Eretz Yisrael. And they, he's sitting over there. The, the, his birthday was in the summer. His in-laws come to surprise him for the summer for his birthday. They take him out for, for uh, dinner. Take him and his, uh, their daughter, his, his wife, out for dinner. And in there, after they eat the dinner for dessert, it says, and he, the father-in-law goes over to the son and says, Happy birthday. And he hands, hands him an envelope. And he says, what's in this envelope? He opens it up, and he sees it's an all-expense trip paid to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. And he looks at the tickets, and he looks at his father-in-law, changes a few colors, starts shaking. He's like, Waiter, water please. You know, like, Dad, how did you know about this? And he says, what do you mean? We read it in your blog. <laughs> and he's like, you knew about the blog? He's like, yeah, of course. What do you think? We Googled you as soon as we found out. He says, and you let me go. He said, listen, we did a little bit more research. And we found out that you changed. You did shuva. We found out you made a full 180 degrees. So why shouldn't we give you a chance? Many people, every, not many, everybody has something that they're dealing with. Some skeletons in the closet. We found your skeleton before you got married. And we went and we searched and you got over it. So it was fine. How many of us, we go, we say, we have so many skeletons, God. How do you go when you want to speak? How am I going to go when I'm going to change? How am I going to speak to you? You want to know why? Because we have something called tshuva. We have the ability to go and change. But we have that ability only we're in this world. That's when we have that ability to change. We don't always have that ability to change. So we're coming to Rosh Hashanah. And we have to come into a realization that it is something to be scared for. You should. You should be scared. It's not all lovey-dovey, everyone holding hands and singing. That's after prayers. <laughs> Before, man, that's when you do tshuva. You know, you got, we got to go and step into Rosh Hashanah thinking, okay, what am I going to do different? We have a week and a day. So you know what happens? You go into a class and you hear something inspirational. And then you think about it, like, yeah, it's a great idea. This guy is screaming good stuff. We're going to change. But the second that you get into the car and the first guy cuts you off, the first guy, 
And we're like, that's it. I wish death upon him and his family and his great family. I can't believe he did this and I missed that. And I can't believe it. And you get home, you forget about everything. It's done. You heard something. It's a great idea, but I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. Yeah, 60 seconds ago, I was going to change. What's going to make me go and stop from now until I go get home that I'm going to change? You want to know what's going to let you do that? The character trait of Yeshua Batul. If you learn from him, if you learn that you take something, you take an idea, and you don't just let it be an idea, you actualize it. You take it and put it into fruition. You go and you work on it, and you make it happen. Now, I'm not saying do something big. Do something tiny, small. Whatever it is that's on your level. But do something. Successful people capitalize on every opportunity. You're a businessman. You want to be successful. Somebody comes up through you with a deal. You don't tell, okay, I'll think about it tomorrow. Because a good deal is done yesterday. A good deal doesn't happen tomorrow. You're in real estate. And somebody comes up to you with an investment opportunity. And it's pennies on the dollar. And you're like, yeah, I think it's kind of good. Send me an email, da da but this, that. No, 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 no. You go to them and be like, I'm closing tomorrow. I'll show you proof of funds and I'm closing. Says, that's it. It's done. I'm taking it. Somebody who sees an opportunity capitalizes on it. Those are successful people. Unsuccessful people sees an opportunity and they play another game of Candy Crush or whatever it is going on now. Anger, but I don't know what's, what's the, the rage now. And they go and they're like, yeah, okay, that's, that's pretty good. Maybe I'll do it one day. No. You want to be successful? You have an idea? You have a thought? Do it. But don't do it then. Do it now. Do it right here, right now. While I'm talking, start spacing out and thinking about what you're going to do. Don't pay attention to me. Just think about what you're going to do. The next few minutes, you should not be hearing me. You should just be... I should see everybody going like this and then like writing something down. Like, you know, talk, you know, people talk to themselves. <laughs> you walk, you see somebody walking. You know, I'm like, well, what just happened over here? Like, I don't see any Bluetooth in this guy. You know, people have conversations with themselves. Have a conversation with yourself right now. What am I going to do different? What, am I going to pray a little better? I mean, maybe extra modest. Maybe I'll learn five extra minutes every single day before Hashanah. Let me prepare something. Maybe I'll change a little, just something little, just something tiny, something very, very minute. You know, when you're coming with this idea, you think, okay, that's a lot of fear. It's a lot of scariness on it. But we know Elul, which is the month before we're getting ready for Hashanah, stands for Anila Dodiva Dodili. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. Meaning that Hashanah is not only a scary day. It's also a day of love. A day that we could go and get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the question is, but how are we going to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So you want to know how you get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? This. I'm not saying write a book. Well, maybe I am. You want to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? The ideas that this book represents. This book represents that you see divine providence. You see Hashkacha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in your own life. One of the stories that's written down over here is a story that actually happened to Yeshua. And he was saying that he was, I'm going to say the story short because I don't want to ruin it for you. You've got to look inside the book. No spoiler alerts. He had a busy day. And he was rushing late over here. And you know how like one thing after another thing just like went wrong? 
and just like everything happened wrong and he was delayed and just like things, there was traffic, everything was delayed. And he was driving, driving home after a long day of work. He wanted to just get home and just like forget about the day. And all of a sudden, there's a huge truck that just books a red light right in front of him. And if God forbid there would have been a collision, God forbid. And you don't want to know what he writes in the book, what he says, you know what this made me think? I had so many things that happened to me in that day. And I thought everything was bad, bad, bad. It was like, I can't believe that God did it. But you know what happened? That if I would have been three seconds earlier, three seconds later, God forbid, who knows what would have happened. When we stop for a second and we see that the God's orchestrating everything in our life, we have a little bit of a different relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have a little bit of a different understanding of realizing who we're dealing with over here. There's a Father in Heaven that loves us. It's not only about scary fear that you're going to burn if you, don't, if you don't do everything right. You have a Father who wants a relationship with you. He's waiting to hear you, but you haven't prayed to Him in six years. Maybe you said the tefillot, but when was the last time you spoke to God? When was the last time you said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please help me today? Or even better yet, when was the last time you personally said to God, thank you. Not like a bracha, thank you for the food. No, no, no. In English, Russian, Spanish, or whatever language that you care to understand, when was the last time that you said, spasiba? Is that right? Okay. When was the last time that you said, thank you? When? when? Think about that. When was the last time that you go to God, have a relationship with God? Yes, it's not all about fear. Okay, fine. You want a loving relationship? Do you love God? God loves you. But where do you show that you love God? What was the last thing that you did? So now's the second time that you're supposed to be spacing out. And say thank you to God. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for Torah anytime. Thank you for Chazak. Thank you for Torah life. Thank you for Yeshiva or Yitzhak. I had to plug it in somewhere, right? I didn't do it in the beginning. <laughs> thank you for all these organizations that helped put this together. When was the last time that we had a little bit of akaratatov? Because that builds the relationship. I want to finish off with one final story. This story was set over by a Chabad rabbi. And this rabbi was in Agora Hills, California. And he said that he had his students one time. It was between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It was a Shabbat. And they were sitting and they were eating the meal on Shabbat day. And they noticed... As they're eating the meal, there is a moving truck that moves in right next to the, the synagogue. And in big blue letters, it says over there on the moving truck, nice Jewish boy moving truck. So they're like, this is Chabad, yeah? You see an opportunity, you grab it, you know? Let's go in, I have some good vodka, let's sing, let's dance, let's get, let's get close. So they see this, they go and they start, they, they see these people moving and they go and they start saying, like, are you guys Jewish? And they're like, yeah, they were Israelis, we're Jewish. So listen, you know, it's Shabbat. Why don't you, you guys are working so hard. Why don't you come in? Let's eat something. Let's sing a little bit. And they're like, you know what? It's a hot day in California. They're like, fine. Not a, you know, sounds good. They took a break and they sat down. And they started eating with them. And they started singing with them. And all of a sudden, one of the guys perks up. And he says, guys, we got to go. And they're like, well, what's going on? This is the owner of the house. Just pulled up to the driveway. And he says, if he sees us sleeping on the job, we're going to get fired. He says, we got to go back. One of, the, one of the aspiring rabbis, the young Lubavitcher boy, goes over there and says, let me take care of it. Lubavitcher, they they're not shy. 
goes up to this guy. And he goes up to him and says, listen, uh, are you by any chance Jewish? And he says, uh, yeah, I happen to be a, uh, the musical advisor to my reform synagogue, temple. So he says, perfect. Why don't you join us? We're sitting over here. We've grabbed a few of your guys. Come and join us. Maybe you could teach us some of your songs and we'll sing together. And they were talking him up. Amazing, amazing. He's like, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> probably. I could. I got some egg yolks and some vodka to mix in so I could uh, do my vocals. And he goes in and they start singing and dancing. Not dancing, it was Shabbat. They were singing and eating. And the next day, <clears throat> this neighbor, his name was Jack, he goes over to the rabbi, sends him a letter, and he goes over to him, and he says, simple letter, few words, God worked through you. So the rabbi goes over to him, finds him, he says, you know, that cryptic letter, what, what does that mean? So the neighbor, Jack, he goes and he says, you know, I made this move out here, and I asked God to show me a sign that I made the right move. Show me God that I did the right move. And the second that I pulled into the driveway, one of you students came out and started singing with me, started making me, I felt like I made the right move. So I feel like God worked through you. So he was sitting right next to Chabad, uh, you know, you know, shul, and he started coming to the lectures. One week, the rabbi is speaking about the topic of faith and suffering. And afterwards, the Jack goes over to him and says, Rabbi, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you a story. And he says, a few years back, he says, I was married. And had three kids. And two of the kids died in an accident, in a car accident. And he said, I got so angry at God. I got so depressed. I lost my job. I couldn't keep my marriage afloat. Like, my wife left me. And I was done. I was, like, I thought I was done. And I couldn't get back on my feet. And I decided, that's it. I'm going to end it. He was going to commit suicide. And he calls his ex-wife. And he said he had one daughter left, one little daughter. He said he wanted to take, he calls off his ex-wife, he says he wants to take out his daughter. He didn't tell her that he wants to say a final goodbye, but that's what he wanted. He wanted to take her out for one final time to say his goodbye before he takes his life. And he goes and he picks up his daughter and he takes her to Mountain Gate Plaza Shopping Center. And in there he was going to take her to watch a movie. And he's going and he's walking to the theater. And out in front of the theater, he sees a big menorah and a bunch of Chabad rabbis dancing in a circle. They see him, they grab him, and they bring him into the circle, and they start dancing in a circle together with him. And this Jack is going, and he's telling this rabbi, he says, you don't understand. Every circle that I went, I felt as if I was getting revived a little bit. I felt as if God was talking to me and saying, Jack, don't give up. There is hope. Don't give up because it's going to get better. And he says, after a few circles, I felt better, and I felt that I wasn't going to commit suicide anymore. But I felt I needed a fresh start. So I went and I decided that I'm going to move and start afresh. And after I made the move, I said, God, show me a sign. And he showed me your sign. And the rabbi hears a story, doesn't say a word, jumps up, runs over to a bookcase and finds a photo album. And he starts flipping through photos. He calls over Jack and he shows him a photo in Mountain Gate Plaza outside the theater of this same rabbi right next to Jack smiling on that picture. And he goes up to Jack and says, I was at that theater. I was the one that you were dancing with. 
And he says, you want to know something crazy? When I called the shopping center and I wanted to book it to get the permission to do it, the person the, from the management office says, are you sure you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, why are you asking questions? Of course I want to come. But we came over there with all our speakers, with all our systems, with everything, with our big menorah, and we found out the shopping center was closed. There was nobody there. And I was like, you know, what are we going to do? He says, okay, we saw the theater was still open, so we parked it in front of the theater. And you know what? It was the slowest day. Nobody showed up except for you and maybe one other person. And I thought it was a flop. I thought it was a waste of time. And all of a sudden I see that God sent me there to save your life. You want to know how you see the love of God? When you learn about these types of stories. You learn about stories and you see the hashkacha patik. You see the divine providence. You see the divine hand in everything. And then how do you go and not say, thank you, Hashem? Forget about for me. Thank you, Hashem, for Jack. Like, how amazing is that? How do you not go and say, oh, I love you, God. Look at how amazing what you did. Everybody in our lives, every single person in our lives, we have moments. That if we open our mind, we can see God is there and is manipulating it. It could be that he just prevented a car accident. And if you drive in Brooklyn, it for sure happened to every single one of us. I know it happened to me. You walk, you're spacing out, a car almost hits you. There's everything, Brooklyn, Queens, in the five boroughs. It's for sure happened. So how could you say you don't, you don't see God and you don't love God? So there's two things that I ask of you from tonight. Number one is stop for a second and think. We should be okay. But we shouldn't think that way. We should think, no, I have to do something different. Let me change something. And don't get into the car and forget about everything that we just spoke about. Don't get home and be like, just, you know, news as usual and forget it. Like, I'm not changing anything. Do something that's going to change. That's step one. Step number two. Realize. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God Almighty, loves every single one of us. And no matter what we did in our life and how far we're fallen, how big of a boo-boos we may have done, spiritually speaking or physically speaking, there's always a way back of tshuva. And with that, bench everybody that we should have the most successful, amazing Rosh Hashanah. That God may inscribe us for a year, not only an amazing year, the best year that we've ever had. A year that we see Bezat Hashem Mashiach B'meheo A year that whoever needs a shiduch will have the shiduch. And a year, whoever needs panasa will have panasa berevach b'shefa. And finally, a year that we will see unprecedented Jewish growth, Jewish growth in each and every single one of us. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.